Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, January 6th, 2024. And our top story today, are there big risks for the stock market in 2024? And joining me now to help break it all down, it's her first appearance on BRN this year. Jane King is a financial journalist. She's reporting from the NASDAQ. Jane, happy new year. Great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Happy new year. Happy 2024. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Ex- I think we're so excited to have you on. We appreciate you spending a little bit of your time with us um, every Saturday morning. And I know your my mom sends her regards. You're she's a big fan, um, and I, I know the rest of our audience is. So, mom, Jane sends her regards. All right, Jane, I, I want to talk first about the jobs report uh, released on Friday morning. What's your sense for the jobs report? Well, so 216,000 jobs added. This is for the month of December. That was more than what we expected. The unemployment rate, 3.7%, little bit less than what we had expected. So kind of the headline numbers look pretty good, but I'm hearing a lot of grumbling on Wall Street about the revisions um, that have been taking place. So both job growth in October and November were revised lower than that initial number that we got on that day that the public doesn't pay as much attention to. And um, not by a little either, by quite a bit, like tens of thousands in in these revisions. Now, 142,000 of the 216,000 was private sector. And um, I think Wall Street would like to see a higher number in the private sector. And there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal on December 31st, so people can go look it up, that talked about uh, much of the job growth that we have been seeing lately is coming from government, social assistance, and health care. So you would definitely would love to see more private sector job growth and more broad-based job growth for a really healthy yeah. economy. Just in terms of the revisions, I mean, how the heck do they get it? In today's age with technology, how do you, how do you I mean, no offense, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, and I, I'm not knocking, but how, how does that happen, Jane? Yeah, I know. well, however it happens, I feel like they really need to start looking at and figuring out what's going wrong because it's starting to become a number that people don't trust anymore. And that's impacting the market. It's impacting faith in the number. And, um, you know, we need to have trust in these numbers to have a a fully transparent marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jane, I want to shift. Let's talk about some risks for 2024. And I I don't want to throw cold water on the market. I think the market, well, let me ask you first, before I get to that, let's talk about the Santa Claus rally. How does Santa do? Did Rudolph lead the way or, or... You know, where's the the Grinch? Early this year. So, I mean, we saw the market. Remember, we had that horrible September, October. We like almost totally forgot about it. It was so horrible. November 1 came and the market just went up until Christmas. And then, and really until the new year, Uh, we came back. Um, for to start 2024, and it's struggled, especially the NASDAQ and tech stocks and Apple in particular has struggled. So um, if you look at Apple's losses, it's they're about 5%. I think Apple was up, what, 30 percent or something last year. So, you know, maybe, in, you know, when you step back a little bit, it's not that big of a deal, but it's kind of disconcerting. And I've seen some numbers lately. Now, maybe this, uh, you know, we've seen interest rates go up. Um, so that might change this a little bit. But the drops in uh, bond yields have been, you know, pretty steep. And some people think that might be a recession. So. Oh, that's that R word again, Jane. I mean, they, you say it long enough. Hey, the sky is yellow. The sky is yellow. Eventually, you're going to you're going to hit the mark. You're going to hit the so mark. True. And it's an election year. And typically, you don't, you, the government will do whatever it takes to keep the economy afloat, spend, 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 and whatever. Um, 
So, you know, it'd be tough to see a recession, but who knows? I mean, it does feel like we're in an era where there's a lot of unexpected things. There's wars going on and all kinds of strange situations globally. So maybe that might have more of it. Something global might have an impact. Yeah, I, I want to kind of follow up on that. Just a couple last last couple minutes. Uh, risks. Let's talk about some risks. Yeah, you already mentioned the the conflicts happening in Europe, the Middle East. Are there other hot areas that could flare up uh, as a result of, or in addition to? So that's going to impact the supply chain. But I want to ask you about the expectation around rate cuts because I think the market may have a different expectation than what Jerome Powell and the Fed may be singling. And how does that mesh together? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because Jerome Powell has been kind of wishy-washy about this. He gave that speech and he talked about maybe three rate cuts and then he kind of backtracked about that. Uh, today with this jobs number, the initial reaction was interest rates were up. Um, which, you know, tells me that they don't, they maybe take that rate cut out of March off the table. Um, but sometimes when you dig into these numbers a little bit, because the jobs report, I think, is a little bit weaker than what the headline number indicates. So maybe it's still in play. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think a lot of this will depend on inflation numbers that we get later this month. And, um, and then they'll make a decision based on that, probably even right up to the meeting in March. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the private versus the public job growth, uh, what that means for the Fed and their ultimate decisions. Jane, we're going to have to leave it there. Great to see you in 2024. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. And when we come back, we'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you got to start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're going to change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. Well, it was another great week of shows. I hope you liked our new set, new theme, new graphics. Our team has worked very hard over the last five weeks to put that in place. And we had a great week of shows. We kicked off the week with a look at how sleeping, standing is better for your heart than sitting. Let's take a look. 
So I actually was not involved in this particular study. I was commenting on it for uh, the sake of education. Uh, the study was performed across Europe and, and around the world in several sites. Uh, essentially, patients were, were studied for behavior and fitness and activity. And uh, they wore what are called accelerometers on their thigh, tracking their motion, just like a, a smartwatch might do or a wristband might do. And their sleep patterns, their activity levels were correlated to uh, signs of health. For instance, their cholesterol, their sugar, their blood pressure, their overall weight. And as it turns out, doing anything but sitting still is good. Yeah, uh, sedentary I behavior is a, is a problem. And if you replace sedentary behavior with even five to seven minutes of some activity or even taking a nap, it's better than just sitting still. No, we've known as doctors for a long time that you know an active lifestyle is very healthy, and it was nice to see the data support that. Uh, and most importantly, it didn't take very much. Like you said, you don't have to spend two hours a day at the gym. Just getting up and taking a walk as little as five to seven minutes a day versus doing nothing has major impacts on your waist size, your cholesterol, uh, your blood pressure, and your overall health. I agree. I think that what I also learned from this study was that sleep is important, but the idea of maybe a power nap shouldn't be uh, frowned upon. Uh, just taking, if you're feeling a stress in the day, tiredness in the day, don't force through it with caffeine and, and more work. Give yourself 10, 15 minutes of rest. And that seems to have uh, very positive impacts on your cardiovascular health. Yes, yes. We've also seen people who you know, do sleep, but their sleep quality is very poor. There are many conditions that can contribute to, to poor sleep, for instance, overweight, or something called sleep apnea, where actually for, throughout the evening, you might be waking up or having microarousals all night. And if you have that, uh, that results in higher blood pressure, daytime fatigue, weight gain. So if people are not waking up feeling rested after a night of sleep, they should definitely check for those things. And, you know, as humans to be sitting still, you know, we are, we are animals. And, and what we've learned from this study and other studies is that allowing yourself that time to, uh, you know, have light or moderate intensity activity and exercise really is a stress reliever. It correlates nice to mental health, overall mood and well-being. So uh, the, the, the sheer act of just sitting still all day is, is not what we're designed to do. And we also discussed pensions for the new generation. Let's take a look. Thanks for that question. Uh, Prime is really our concept for designing these pension plans for the future that take advantage of the best tools, the best thinking that we have to satisfy both the employer and the employee objectives. So when I think about pension design, when I work with clients on this, I like to think about four goals that we're trying to achieve. Number one, we're looking to maximize retirement income without driving up costs. So really what we're focusing there on is efficiency of the plan. Number two, we're looking to drive the employee understanding and appreciation of the program. So focus on engagement. Number three, we want to support the employer in their attraction, retention, their workforce management goals. So think HR priorities. And number four, we want to very carefully manage the employer costs and the employer risks that are coming with any program that they take on. So think financial sustainability. Now, if we can achieve all four of these objectives together, then what we have is a plan that's efficient, that's sustainable, and that's a true win-to-win -win for employers and for employees. And that's what this has to be. So to make all this work, and under this prime framework, we're very strong believers in market return cash balance plans. Uh, this is a plan, it's actually pretty unique to the US. It's a plan that we've been 
working with for many years, tons of experience with many clients on this front. And it's a really interesting plan notion that combines the best aspects of DB and DC. So it's providing participants with an account balance that they can understand, that they can track the growth of, that they can really appreciate. It delivers competitive market-based returns really as good or better than what you see in a 401k environment. It delivers a really efficient source of guaranteed lifetime income, which is that goal that everybody's looking for right now. And at the same time, it really does protect employers financially and give them really good tools to manage their workforce. So putting all this together with a lot of the experience that we have, what we've done under Prime is taken that and added a bunch of extra innovations. Uh, what we want to do is take that and really make it a flexible model, give a lot of optionality to the participants to customize the outcomes to what they need. And then we need to help employers to really seamlessly communicate and administer these plans so that we can really deliver the best experience to their participants and also make it really easy for the employer. All that together, that's, that's what Prime is. So the, the conversations we're having right now are exactly that. They're around understanding that there is a better way, understanding that there's a better model out there uh, to provide the outcomes that you're looking for uh, without taking on the challenges, without taking on the negativity. It's really interesting. You're absolutely right. We do see these glacial changes. We're seeing changes in the industry already, um, but they're happening in a bit of an odd place. So there's this notion that 401k is the model in the US, but at the same time, that retirement lifetime income is critical. And so there's all these attempts right now to bring lifetime income into the 401k space. And the challenge there, and I think this is a lot of conversation we're having, is that they're using the wrong tool for the job. We're trying to take a tool that's designed for, uh, for accumulation of assets, that accumulation of savings, that emphasizes account balances throughout the years. And then suddenly when people come to retirement, it's a bit of a bait and switch and you're trying to convince people to suddenly spend that money on what they feel like is an uncertain and undefined lifetime income. I think the beauty of addressing this thing from the start is that you're having a very different conversation with your employees. You're educating them throughout their career, throughout their participation in the plan about the fact that they already have some very clear needs in retirement. They do need to have lifetime income security. They also need to have that flexibility. And what we're bringing to the table is a program that really delivers on both in a way that is efficient, that is effective, that helps employers, that helps participants. And we've got the communications and the tools and the administration to really deliver it, to make it all sing. And that's what HR managers, that's what CFOs are looking for right now. They're looking to understand that not only is it doable, but it's efficient and it's effective and it's going to be easy for them to make it happen. And that's that's where we need to take this. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's certainly been a big story in the industry um, and everybody has an opinion. And so I'll say up front again, as, as you said, we haven't been in the room with IBM. We don't know their internal considerations. So this is more kind of my, my own perspective from the outside as I look at what's been reported. The, um, the biggest element of the story in my mind uh, is that while so many employers, IBM included, had for years made the, the 401k the cornerstone of their retirement plan, IBM has now decided to move away from that. And that's big news. That's a big, big message there. Um, now, it's reported that IBM has a large surplus 
parked in their closed defined benefit plan. And so they'll now be able to, by reopening that, reuse that surplus to fund their retirement promise. That's the right thing to do. That is uh, what we would have advised. It makes good sense. Those are assets that weren't doing anybody any good before. They were stuck in a closed plan. Now they're going to be utilized productively. So again, that is a really good thing. And good on IBM for accessing those assets and for demonstrating that you don't have to be, you don't have to treat the K plan as sacrosanct. If there's a better way of doing things, that's okay. And uh, we would have recommended the same. I think that's terrific. The details on the rest of how they structure this, that's where I'd say we'd have some differences uh, from certainly what we would recommend. Um, if I go back to think about the four criteria that I mentioned for Prime, uh, I'd say they probably satisfy one of the four. So again, going back, the first was you want to maximize benefits. You want to have an efficient plan that delivers the most for the money being spent. The biggest issue here is that the approach that IBM is taking to investment returns on these new accounts is probably going to be somewhat inefficient. It's going to leave value on the table. It's not going to deliver as much as it possibly could for the participants. So don't love that. Um, number two, focus on employees, understanding, appreciation, engagement. At least what we've seen from the outside, it doesn't seem like that was very much of a focus for IBM. Uh, if anything, in the communications, what we've seen is they've tried to downplay this change. Uh, the third, and actually going back to that, there are real upsides they could be playing up, and I don't think they have. So maybe they still will. We'll see what happens there. The third, may use it as an HR tool, attraction, retention, workforce management. These are such key priorities for employers today. It's a competitive market out there. And we haven't seen any indication that this change is intended to be a positive element of IBM's workforce uh, attraction or retention strategies. So again, maybe that could still change. Maybe there's still something coming, but we haven't seen it so far. And the fourth criteria is about effectively managing employer costs and risks. Now, largely achieved. The goal is to use the surplus. They're going to use that surplus to handle the costs from the plan. Um, even there, if we're going kind of strictly technical, they're probably taking on a little bit more cost variability than they have to. Uh, but in the context of a big surplus, they probably don't care. It's probably a pretty minor issue. So overall, as I look at this and think about how we would approach such, a, such an exercise, uh, I would suggest that what IBM has done really well is they've shown us that you can move back to using your DB plan. It is a tool that's available. And in many cases, it can be more effective than the 401k plan, particularly if you can access this trapped surplus. So congratulate them for doing that. That is terrific. That is a, the right thing to do. But in terms of the details, uh, I believe they could have achieved more for themselves and their employees in the process. And that's what, again, would be different if we followed more of the prime structure. Well, certainly great segments. I want to thank all of our great guests this week. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, and visit our website. We're backing in tomorrow for BRN Sunday. It's our first edition of the year. I'll be joined by the Legal Eagles, David Levine and Kevin Walsh. They're a groom law group. 
And then Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network will be here. Can't wait to do it. It's our first show, as I said, of 2024. So until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. And don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere and on any device.